We are uh, continuing our our study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, This is our second second Sunday, so we're still at the very, very beginnings uh, of the Gospel. Um, Just still looking at chapter 1 and uh, still kind of at the outset of Jesus' ministry. Last week, we started our series in the Gospel of Mark by seeing uh, how Mark highlighted Jesus as the Son of God who entered the wilderness for us. Uh, Mark described it as the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, the beginning of the good news. Mark has good news to share, and he wants to get to it. That is Mark in a nutshell. He wants to get to it. So, as I mentioned before, he is pithier than the other gospel writers, and we're going to see that in our text this morning. He doesn't waste words, so let's also get to the text. Uh, Here, the gospel of Mark. Chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 14 uh, to 20. Chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The word of the Lord. Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your word, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and proclaimed good news, who came as the King, establishing his kingdom. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to see Christ the King and to hear the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Where is your sense of urgency? Maybe those words have been spoken to you as if you'd left your urgency at home in a dresser drawer. But uh, often those words are spoken when someone feels like they're, they feel much more intensely um, about something that is either looming or very important or significant to them. And you seem nonchalant, right? And they might ask you, where is your sense of urgency? Um, But for those of us who have seemingly lost the sense, oftentimes, uh, we are happily oblivious to whatever's coming up. Uh, I I find myself uh, like that. Erin and I, she's not here, uh, so I will say good things, of course. Uh, But we're very different in this regard, at least in some areas. Um, One of those areas is travel. Uh, Erin has a healthy sense of urgency when preparing for trips. Uh, if I was left to my own devices, I would pack the day of, lose the plane tickets if they still existed, um, have a vague sense of uh, when I needed to arrive at the airport and how long it would take to get there without really thinking about time of day or traffic or anything like that. And so I might, in the end, forget stuff for the trip, or maybe I pack too much, or I probably run around the day of in a frantic way, and then I drive too fast to get to the airport and then 
get frustrated when there's traffic. And then when I get there, I'm the, like the guy on the end of the line who's anxiously wondering if they're going to get through the, the security line or not. Um, whereas Erin, with her, um, she's packed us up at least, usually multiple days ahead of time. Um, she has made arrangements for all the things at home, so we don't have to worry about those. She has checked, double-checked, triple-checked the flight information. And when the day arrives, we find ourselves leisure, leisurely sipping lattes at the airport at least two hours ahead of time. It's the difference, right? She has a sense of urgency. She wants to get there. Not so much with me, at least in that area. And I would argue that we all have this sense of urgency about certain things that are either and or impending and important to us, right? There are certain things that we all have a sense of urgency about. Let me just, uh, yeah, even if you're a chill guy, you know, like me, just kind of, hey, let life come at you. Um, let me, let me uh, suggest a few ways in which, in places in which we might be more urgent. You, you've played a sport. Think of the clock in basketball. I, I played basketball. There's a sense of urgency. I've got to score. I've got it. We got to get ahead. We got to, We're always watching the clock. And maybe that's a little way in which there's a sense of urgency. But if you're if you're an athlete and you're competitive, there's always a sense of urgency, right? Of, uh, of needing to beat uh, whoever it is you're playing. But what about the deadline for a paper? If you're an academic sort. Yeah, yeah, you know that sense of urgency, right? I didn't have that. I should have. What about saving for retirement? For some of you, there's a sense of urgency. Even at a young age, there's some people who are just like, I got to put money away, got to be prepared for the end. And some of you, there's a sense of urgency of connecting and reconnecting with loved ones, isn't there? The feeling of loss and urgency that I need to reach out. I need to call this person. I need to talk to them. I haven't communicated with them in a while. For some, there's a sense of urgency of starting a family. Long for that. Or just making money. I mean, there's so many things that we can have a sense of urgency about. And, and I would say that timeliness and urgency are different things, right? You might be laid back or you might be anxious. That's sort of personality trait stuff. But urgency is dealing with that sense of priority, of what's most important to us. Uh, What we value, right? Urgency has that sort of sense. So for the athlete, winning the game is is the priority. Uh, For the academic, it's getting the grade for the person who saves for retirement is ha- it's having that comfortable end-of-life experience. For those who uh, want to reach out to loved ones that they haven't talked to in a while, it's that desire to be in relationship and community with people. It's the desire for a family or the desire for wealth and money. Whatever it is, those things form our identity, the thing that, we are, that are most important to it. They are priorities that give us a sense of urgency. So the question is, what are you urgent about? 
As I've already noted, there is a sense of urgency throughout the Gospel of Mark. He's urgent to tell us the story of Jesus as quickly and as concisely as possible, at least until he gets to the end of the Gospel, when he slows down and he expands as he looks at the Passion Week. But up to that point, he has a sense of urgency. He is burning to get to the story of the cross. And fundamentally, Mark, as the writer of this gospel, is urgent because Jesus himself is urgent. Jesus says here, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus has a sense of urgency. And this morning, it's my hope that we might also have this same sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel. That we might heed the call of the king who has come, whose kingdom has been established. And I, and I want us to think about this call of Christ, this urgent call, in three ways. First, heed the call of the king who brings good news. Second, heed the call of the king who is the fisher of men. And finally, heed the call of the king and follow him. Those three things. First, Heed the call of the king who brings good news. Our text begins with a gloss. I don't know if you noticed, it was quick to miss. Um, But Mark, again, is to the point, and he glosses a big chunk of story about the prophet John. In the other Gospels, we have various interactions with John. Uh, And we have the baptism, but we have other actions. But here he just says, now after John was arrested, that, that was it. Um, now, Mark will come back in, in the sixth chapter to tell about John's tragic death. But it'll be like a flashback. Uh, he'll be talking about what happened before, um, uh, an after-the-fact account. But at this point, Mark glosses over the story of John. Why? why? Why just kind of say, why even put it there? Now, after John was arrested, why that little gloss, that little note? Um, Well, I don't think it's just to be concise. Mark wants to point out a moment in time. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. What time? What time is fulfilled? Well, the time of the prophets. For hundreds and thousands of years, the prophets have been proclaiming the return of the Messiah, the King of Israel. They've been looking forward to the coming anointed one who would save his people and establish his kingdom. All the way from the earliest prophets, all the way up to the latest prophets, John. But now, Jesus has come. John's ministry was complete. He was arrested, literally stopped. His ministry was done. And his mission was over. Jesus had come. The king had finally come. All of human history was leading up to this moment. Not just Israelite history. All of it. This was uh, uh, an amazing thing. This king, this messianic figure of the Old Testament, this one who would come and save Israel, wasn't just coming for Israel. All of human history was coming to this apex, to this point of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who rules over the nations, was coming and was now here. And so I don't think it's a coincidence 
that Jesus in his ministry doesn't start his ministry in Jerusalem at the temple. Or maybe where David had his and Solomon had their palaces. Where does he start his ministry? In Galilee. Where's Galilee? Well, Galilee's in the north uh, east sort of corner of um, Israel. Um, Isaiah, though, called Galilee the Galilee of the nations, or the Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee was known as a crossroads. It was the point at which the Assyrian armies came and conquered the northern tribe of Israel, northern tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom. But it had persisted as a place where there was always a mix of Gentiles and Jews living in close quarters. It was a crossroads. Of humanity, So I think it's not insignificant that Jesus starts his ministry because he has come as the king of the whole world. And why did he come? He came to proclaim the gospel of God. The whole reason the king of glory had to stoop down and come to earth was because the earth and all who were in it had rebelled against him. Mark says that Jesus picked up the baton of John and was calling the people to repent and believe. Repent. To turn from sin because the urgent problem, the urgent issue was that the world was at odds with God, that they were rebelling against him in their sin. And when we look at the world, when I look at the world outside, it's full of urgent issues, isn't it? We, we could just run through all the headlines of the news and see the various urgent issues. You know, there's the, the typical ones, but they're, they're real. Poverty, racism, violence, war, political strife, human trafficking, drug abuse. And we could go on and on and on. And we ought to have a sense of urgency about the problems the world faces. I think that's important. As people of God, we care about the things of God. And so having a sensitivity to the problems of the world and the problems of people is is important. But one of the things that we are really good at as humans is disassociation. What do I mean by that? I, I think we look at these big issues and we disassociate ourselves from them. They're abstracted from us. They're problems that we can get riled up about, get frustrated by, engage with, but they don't really have anything to do with us, or so we think. We act that they are caused ultimately by institutional problems, structural issues, lack of education, um, various groups or peoples or religions or governments that cause the issues. Uh, We sum up our issues sociologically, economically, demographically, politically, but we disassociate ourselves from the issues. We have no sense of urgency about the root cause of all the world's strife. See, at the root, the problem is not out there. The root, the problem is in here. It's us. Jesus came not to change governments and institutions. He came to call us to repent, to acknowledge our sin, and to turn from our sin. Friends, it's easy to sit 
and read the news and blame the world's ills on the various generations or on the political parties or whatever. And we can and should maybe write letters to our senators and we can march on Washington and we can vote and we can urge our friends and family to change the way that we behave or whatever. But do you have a sense of urgency about the root cause of it all? What's in here? The king calls us to repent. But he also calls us to believe. You see, we can't rightly deal with our sin. Sin is like the perennial weeds of my garden. The more you pull up, the more they seem to grow up. And honestly, I don't pull weeds. What about my sin? I can't root it out. Don't often try. But the good news, the good news is that the king can. As as the king, he came to conquer sin and death. And he calls us to himself and he says, repent and believe. Heed the call of the king. But second, heed the call of the king who is the fisher of men. I confess, whenever I see the word fisherman or fish or fishing, I get excited. For some of you, that's the snooze button. (laughs) I realize, but I get excited. Just the idea of it, when fishing gets me excited, when I read the text, my mind is full of sparkling seas and nets full of fish. I love the excitement of seeing what comes up out of the water. Who knows what it's going to be, right? And Jesus meets... Four men down by the Sea of Galilee, fishermen trying to make a living. In the other gospel accounts, we learn that Peter and Andrew had been fishing all day and hadn't caught a thing until Jesus came along and miraculously filled their nets to overflowing. But we we don't get that information. Again, Mark, concise to the point. He simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus used this familiar picture of fishing to call them to join him in his ministry to proclaim the gospel. But it's interesting. This is not the first time in Scripture that Scripture talks about fishing for men. Did you know that? Jesus wasn't the first one to say this, to paint this picture of fishing for men. For example, Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, it says this of God. He brings all of them with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. It's a nice picture. But if we're not careful in reading this text from Habakkuk in its context, we will miss the point of these prophetic pictures of God fishing for men. In each of the cases in the Old Testament where God is portrayed as a fisher of men, it is always in the context of God's judgment. Is that surprising? Because now here Jesus is saying to these disciples, oh, come be fishers of men. And in the backs of their minds, what do they have? 
Well, their theological and, and biblical minds were thinking, fishers of men. Isn't God the fisher of men? Doesn't that mean he's going to drag the nets of humanity and bring judgment on the people for their sin? What does it mean that I become a fisher of men? You see, God fish, fishes for men to bring them to judgment. Now, assuming that these Old Testament prophecies are the background for this call of the disciples, and I, I think there is very good reason for that, and it's, it's not just Habakkuk. It's Isaiah, it's Jeremiah, it's some of the other prophets. And it's, it's all over those, those writing prophets, this concept. So assuming that these Old Testament prophecies are the background for this call of the disciples, it changes the tone of what Peter and Andrew are being called to. And what are they being called to? They are being called to become those who bring people to the king by the proclamation of the king. Bring people to the king by the proclamation of the gospel. To fish for men through the means of the gospel. But the gospel, friends, and this is where judgment and good news sort of meet, right? The gospel, friends, is only good news in as much as we believe it. You see, Christ is the judge of all mankind, and no one escapes the judgment. And that's part of the good news, to tell people you have a desperate problem. And it's not just a little thing. It's not just good life here. It means eternal damnation apart from the grace of God, apart from salvation, apart from putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's judgment. Jesus uses the imagery of fishing again. Did you know that? Not just in calling the disciples. You remember this? It was a a parable that Jesus spoke in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Hear these words. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and and, and, um, and there fish of every kind were gathered. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's that's a little bit stark and and shocking for us. When we think of fisher of men, we often have a a good picture. We often have that idea of going out and casting a rod and reel and having fun and enjoying the process. But here, God is saying, fishing is serious business. It's about judgment and salvation. It's about people's lives. And there ought to be an urgency about it. Friends, I opened by talking about urgency. The good news that in Christ... And this is the good news. Those who in Christ are saved because he has been judged on our behalf. And he has broken the power of sin and death through the resurrection. And in him we have righteousness and salvation. That's the good news. And we can't heal ourselves or change our hearts. We are by nature sinners. But he can and that is really good news. And it's urgent. 
Jesus calls these men to be fishers of men along with him, that the whole world might know the wonders of God's grace and forgiveness. Friends, do you know the wonders of God's grace and forgiveness? Do you understand that we all deserve to be swept up in the dragnet of justice? What's a dragnet? I could ask Seth this. I don't know. It's an old TV show, I guess. But what's the idea of a dragnet? It's basically you go out and gather everybody together that could possibly have anything to do with a a crime. And you get them all and you talk to them and interview them. Is that right? Am I close? Close? I don't know. All of us. All of us. The whole world is going to be dragged up. It's a vivid image. This is urgent matter. Do you know that Christ willingly laid down his life for you? That he was judged for you? And it's not just urgent for our own sake, but for the sake of our loved ones, for our family and friends, for our co-workers and our acquaintances. Indeed, for everyone who doesn't know the hope of the gospel. Jesus' disciples had a unique apostolic calling. In a unique way, they were called to proclaim the gospel. But all of us have been called to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And we ought to have an urgency about it. The world faces the dragnet of justice. Now, there is plenty of discussion about how to share the gospel, right? We could have discussions about good ways and bad ways, less effective ways, but there is no way if we don't do anything. Right? Believer, heed the call of the fisher of men. Sense the urgency that Christ The fisher of men has come and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Finally, and in conclusion, heed the king, heed the call of the king, and follow him. The last two disciples, presumably, were also called to be fishers of men, but that isn't what's in the text. It's simply implied that they would also be fishers of men. But James and his brother John were also fishermen mending their nets. A little farther down the lake, you know, I picture the lake with all these boats lined up with all their nets strung out and with various people doing various things. And there down the line was Zebedee and his two sons, James and John. Um, These were the type of sons that make a dad proud, right? Sitting there, mending the nets, working with their father in the boat. And Zebedee was there, too, with various servants. And they were in the boat. And I can tell you, as somebody who's been around on in boats, wood boats in particular, there is more work to do than can ever be done on a boat. Ever. Whether you're mending nets or you're painting or you're scraping or you're patching or you're mending sails or you're splicing ropes or you're tying knots, you could spend all day, every day doing something to fix the boat. And that's only when you're not fishing. Right? A recent sailor, a solo, sailed crisscross pattern um, over the top 
of the poles and bottom, I don't know, top or bottom, but you know what I mean. They went, instead of going around the globe this way, they went up and up and around and up and down in this sort of crisscross pattern. Uh, and he broke a record doing that. Um, so when asked if he was bored out there, right? You're out there for weeks and months on end. Um, and asked if he was ever bored, he said, there's always something to do. So when Jesus came by and said to these two hardworking sons, follow me, it must have been a shock to Zebedee, right? Zebedee's like, yeah, but we've got a lot of work to do here. And when James and John immediately left their father and the other workers, and they left their livelihoods behind to follow Jesus, there must have been this overwhelming sense of, you're leaving me in the lurch here. I'm going to make two caveats about this. First, these men are being called to a particular task, uh, to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And so it was a unique call. When we become Christians, I don't think the Lord calls us to abandon all of our responsibilities and do something completely radical all the time. There might be a case where that is true, but this was a particular call, so that's one caveat. Secondly, while there is a radical nature to following Jesus, we are not called to neglect our families. So that begs the question, uh, what about these two sons? Were they neglecting, uh, were they neglecting their father Zebedee? I, I would simply say this. Uh, Zebedee, was, they obviously had some means because they had servants. And this was a particular call that the Lord is putting on these men. And he could care for Zebedee, couldn't he? He's the Lord of glory. He could care for Zebedee in whatever means was necessary. But despite those two caveats, there is something radical and urgent about following Jesus. It is the call, in one sense, to abandon the world for Christ. Again, we're not to leave the world, right? We're not to stop engaging with the world. But we are called to forsake the world. That is, we are called to forsake the twisted love and priority that we have towards the things of the world and to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the call of discipleship. And it's not something we should mull on. One of the things that is so striking about this text is that Jesus, the king of kings, says, follow me. And what do these four men do? Follow. The divine call to follow. Later on in the gospel, uh, there is other scenes where people say, well, let me, let me bury my parents first. And Jesus says some really radical words. Let the dead bury the dead. That's offensive. But what he was trying to get at was their heart. He was trying to say, what is your priority? What is the most significant thing? What are you urgent about? Because if it isn't about me, then it's set on the wrong thing. Friends, we ought not to wait on the call to mull it over. Say, well, let me think about this Jesus thing for a bit. I'll get back to you. It's interesting. I'd like to examine it for a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle there for a while. Jesus says, come, follow me. Friends, 
We have no idea what tomorrow brings. Christ is coming again, and he calls us to follow him, to lose our lives, and yet in that to gain a new, more glorious life in Christ. Hear the king's call. Come and follow him. And as you go out to your friends and your family members and your loved ones in the most winsome and best way possible, share this urgent hope in you. Ask them, have you left your urgency behind somewhere? Where is your sense of urgency? We ought to be urgent. And in that urgency, there's great love. Right? Love for Christ and love for others. This is our call. God is the great fisher of men. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. But he has already sent his son who is judged for us that we might be called sons of God. What an amazing truth. The hope of the gospel. Rest and trust in him. Put your faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his urgency in calling us to faith and repentance. And we ask that you'd give us a sense of urgency both in our lives as we, as we wrestle with our sin and as we long for the things of this world. We ask that you'd give us a sense of urgency to, to, to become more like Christ. And so, Lord, work in us by your spirit. But, Lord, also give us a sense of urgency and love for others who don't know you. Give us a heart to share the hope that was within. We need your help. We need your spirit. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.